Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thanks as ever for being here. It's another week, another Friday, and boy, have we had a good week from a footballing point of view. Bam! Five goals past West Ham at the weekend. Bam! Alexis Sanchez hat-trick. Midweek we go to Switzerland. Bam! Four goals past Basel. Ba-ba-ba-bam! Lucas Perez hat-trick. I'm digging all these hat-tricks. I'm a big fan of hat-tricks. In football and in life. Like a man who can score three goals for my football team in one game is a man that I'm proud to call someone that I don't know personally but quite like what he does on a football pitch kind of a guy. I just like, you know, I approve of that kind of behavior. There are certain behaviors on the pitch that I don't approve of, like the waving of imaginary yellow cards. I don't approve of that. You let the referee decide if he's going to book somebody or not. We don't need you to tell us. Be quiet and go over there. And there are other things I don't approve of, like two-footed tackles. Like the one Marcus Rojo, he did one at the weekend, didn't he, for Manchester United against Everton. uh, Jumping in two-footed on uh, the midfielder, Guay, Guay, that guy, that Guay. Anyway, he jumped in on him, thankfully, pretty much missed him. Because if he had hit him, that dude would have been in serious, serious trouble. Uh, But Rojo got away without being sent off. And when you think about what Granit Xhaka did, little trip on a fella as he's going away uh, from him, that that got him a three-match ban, a red card and a three-match ban. And that, I should tell you, despite the fact it annoyed some, but that's the kind of behavior on the pitch that I do approve of. I approve of sly little trips that stop other teams counter-attacking on us uh, and uh, having dangerous situations. So, I, you know, I like that. You know, I'm not necessarily a purist. I'm, I'm not saying that everything has to be uh, above board and legal and everything. I'm just saying that there, you know, there are certain things that I quite like. But when we do them, particularly, not so much when other people do them on us, but uh, yellow cards and uh, two-footed tackles, no. Don't like it if we do it. Don't like it if it's done on us. But hat-tricks, yes, I'm like 100% behind them when we do it. Not like when Robbie Fowler does it against us, then I'm not a fan in the slightest, not even a little bit. There's nothing redeeming, no matter what the quality of the goals are, no. I, I don't, I don't like that. But I also, I have to say, am a fan of hat-tricks. So if somebody can do magic with a hat, I'm, I'm right in there. Is one of my favorite things. You don't see it very much. Not anymore, anyway. There used to be, you know, magicians with their with their top hats and, and they take the rabbit out of it. But where's that gone? The old classics are, are dying away. You see it very rarely, if at all. Like David Blaine, you know, that guy. Yeah, he'll suspend himself on ice 300 feet above a river and then he'll, like, swallow a frog and then bring the frog back up in a glass of water and then swallow the frog again. But he doesn't do enough, doesn't do enough uh, tricks with hats, as far as I'm concerned. And when you think about the sheer range of hats that there are to do tricks with, it's pretty much a disgrace that more magicians aren't doing it, you know? The variety you could have, you know, you've got like, a, you know, just a cap, a normal cap, but you could have a sombrero, a 10-gallon hat, a pork pie hat, a Panama hat, you could have a fez, you could have a boater, you could have a cowboy hat, well, that's sort of a 10-gallon hat as well, couldn't you? You could have a beaver, you could have a beret, yes, that's right. 
could have a bonnet of some kind, a Garibaldi, a flat cap, a Homburg. Maybe even you could draw in the whole realm of helmets. So you could have like bicycle helmets and equestrian helmets and motorbike helmets. You know, the range of things that you could do tricks with that people wear on their heads. It's, it's, just, it's just mind-boggling. And yet, what do they do? Bring out a pack of cards. Is this your card? Oh, yeah, it is. How did I know you were going to pick my card? Because that's the whole point, isn't it? I pick a card and you somehow figure out what the card is. And sure, sure, you're great. You've stapled my card to the arse of a goat 500 yards away. You're brilliant. But where's the fucking hat tricks? Where are the tricks with hats? For now... We're going to have to be contented with the ones that happen on the pitch. And given that we've had two of them in the last week, you know, we can be reasonably satisfied with with what's going on. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about those in a minute anyway, uh, particularly the midweek one. But uh, what else have we got on the show for you today? Well, we're going to be talking to uh, an old friend. That's right. Somebody who we haven't had on the podcast in quite a while. Tim from Arse to Mouse is going to be here. So we're going to chew the fat with him. Um, what else? We've also got some goodies to give away with thanks to our friends at Art of Football. Basically, they're giving uh, you the chance to win pretty much anything that you want from their site. Two, two winners will get to pick whatever they like from the site. So they do uh, T-shirts and uh, canvases and stuff like that. And you can, uh, you can find out how you can win those things a little bit later on in the show. So midweek, I know we did the, uh, the West Ham game and the Arscast Extra on Monday, but the, the midweek game against FC Basel. Wow. Top of the group, Arsenal. Fantastic. That's what we wanted. We thought we'd blown it when we drew 2-2 with PSG, but our friends in Bulgaria, Ludogorets, they did, the, they did the job in Paris. They did the job in Paris, and Edinson Cavani missed a brilliant chance to win the game for them in injury time. Just as we were turning over from the Arsenal game, there was a moment where he was almost clean through on goal. His magnificent movement, and you got to say that about the fella, his movement is really, really, really great. But boy, does he miss some chances. It's, it's good for us, you got to say. It is good for us. But um, they did the job. So a 2-2 draw meant that our 4-1 win was enough for us to go top of the group and uh, finish as group winners, which is uh, which is where you want to be. Whatever happens in the draw afterwards, whether we get Real Madrid or whether we get Bayern Munich, I really hope it's not Bayern. I, like, I can't express how much I hope it's not Bayern Munich, and not simply because Bayern Munich are a very good team. Of course they are. And as I said in the blog yesterday, I get the whole, oh, you've got to beat the big boys if you want to win the Champions League. Sure. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But I'd also like to beat some small boys all along the way. I'd be quite happy with just beating small boys right the way through to the final and in the final itself. That would suit me just fine. But look, I accept that, you know, as you get into the later stages, chances are you're going to have to meet some of the big boys. But Bayern Munich, a great team. Lewandowski's a tremendous striker. They've got a lot of very good players and, uh, you know, they, they would be difficult to get past. But it would be just so Boring. Again, Bayern Munich again. I mean, if you won, it would be great, but it would just be like, oh, God. Here we go again. This is, no. 
no, something, just something different. So I'm looking for something different from this Champions League draw. The the issue is, of course, that we finished um, first in our group. Real Madrid finished second in their group, and Bayern Munich finished second in their group. So that's how that's how come we can get drawn against them. So that's the the downside, I suppose, of being uh, group winners. But you know, when you look at some of the teams that you could have drawn if we'd finished second. You know, there's probably a few easier names in the finish first, draw second uh, scenario than there is the other way around. So, uh, so that's it. But look, it was a, a very, uh, a very enjoyable four-one win over FC Basel. You know, it was a little bit tight at times. They had some chances, but an early goal uh, always puts you ahead. And Lucas Perez, what an interesting player he is! What an interest. There's, there's a really nice symmetry to his stats at this moment in time at the time of speaking and recording he started five games and scored five goals he's come on as a sub three times and he's got three assists that's a guy who despite playing very little has got in relative terms quite a lot of end product i know a hat trick tends to skew things a little bit but you know nobody looks at uh, looks at that at the end of the season they look at how many games he's played how many goals he scored and maybe he's a guy if he's not the world-class striker everybody wanted, he's a striker who has qualities that the squad didn't necessarily have. Real poachers' goals, the first two, he would just sort of sniff them out, and there he was. Uh, back post for the first one, center of the goal for the second one, and you know inside the six-yard box, more or less, he's sticking them away. If it was that easy, every striker would be scoring those goals, and they don't. You know, the third goal as well um, got into a good position, chased it down. He's quick. I like I like the look of him. I like what he brings to the team, and uh, hopefully, he can continue to contribute throughout the season. Um, the players that we had on the night who came in all played really well. Alex Iwobi got a goal. Kieran Gibbs had one of the best games I think I've ever seen him have in an Arsenal shirt. He got two, maybe three assists if you're being generous. I think uh, one of them was at least taken away from him. And one was a shot in fairness, but I think that, that can often be classified as an assist. But he had a great game. Uh, Granite Jack in midfield, excellent. Rob Holding at the back. I know he had that moment where he gave the ball away and it resulted in the, uh, the Basel goal, but there was still quite a bit for your man to do. Doombia, there was a lovely sort of drag back and uh, switchy doodah thing that he did before before the goal was scored. So you got to give him some credit there. But I thought holding was was really really good. And then Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez, just <sighs> different class. We're going to talk about them, I'm sure. But for people who think that Mesut Ozil is lazy or doesn't run, watch the fourth goal again. Watch the fourth goal. When Arsenal moved the ball out of defence, Koscielny, I think, plays it into to Ramsey. Um, and Ramsey picks it up around the halfway line. Ozil is inside our half, to the right-hand side, and down a bit from the, from the centre circle. And he sees that Ramsey is going to feed Alexis. He makes a diagonal run all the way across the pitch. Alexis sees the run. He plays the ball into Ozil. Ozil squares it for Awobi to score. And just the movement and desire to get into that position is absolutely outstanding. And for anyone that thinks Ozil is a guy who just drifts around the pitch and can't be arsed, watch that and then reassess your opinion. And if that doesn't change your mind on it, I don't know what to say then. I mean, if, if that doesn't do it, that, that sheer effort that he put in there to make that run, to open up that space, to allow Iwobi to run in behind him, brilliant pass from Alexis of course but all predicated on the movement of Ozil and the desire to get you know 50 60 yards uh, from his own half and into into their box is just absolutely brilliant 
Um, so there's a, a lot of talk about Alexis and Ozil and contracts and all those kind of things. So we're going we're gonna to touch on that in a few moments' time. But I just wanted to share something that, uh, that I, I won't say I discovered this week, but after the, the Basel game, I did my thing and downloaded the game off the internet because, you know, that's what the internet's all about. You can download anything these days, you know, music, films, books, educational material, body parts, contracts. Anyway, you you can download the games. You don't have to look very hard to, to download the games. And the uh, the coverage that I got was from being sport somewhere in Spain, I think. I assume it's from Spain. But the guy celebrating the goals had a very <laughs> interesting, I found it quite funny, uh, way of, of doing the whole, you know, the, some of the commentators do the whole goal thing. Well, he, he did it like this. So here he is for goal one, uh, scored by Lucas Perez. <laughs> And then this is goal two, also by Lucas Perez. Goal! Goal del Arsenal, muy fácil. Yep, so there you go. Goal for Arsenal, very easy, very easy. And this is goal three, also scored, of course, by Lucas Perez. And then the final goal by Alex Iwobi. Goal! Goal! De Alex Iwobi! <laughs> I love that guy. I don't know who he is, but I love the way he says, Goal! So I think I'm going to call them all goals from now on. Better than X goals, I guess. Oh, sorry, stats people. I love I love expected goals, honestly, I do. But I prefer N goals. So uh, hopefully we got a few N goals this weekend against Stoke and to help us look ahead to that and much more. Delighted to welcome back to the podcast after what seems like quite a while, Tim Clark from Arse to Mouse. Hello there. Yep, still alive. Still yes. <laughs> well that's good. If that's if that's the bar, then you know you're doing pretty well. Yeah, it's been touch and go a few times, but uh, <laughs> still just about clearing it. All right, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, l- let's start uh, with some midweek Champions League action. Arsenal 4, FC Basel 1, and uh, an interesting game. I mean, I think the expectation was there that we go and win it, but perhaps not quite the way that we did in terms of the team that he selected and the players who made the biggest impact. Yeah, I was I was really surprised um, both by the fact that I forgot the game had started. It was only when my boss texted me to say Ludogrets are winning, amazing. I was <laughs> like, oh shit, shit, we're playing today. That was so that was like the level of uh, attention I'd given the game. So when I switched on, I was like, uh, Ozil and Sanchez seems to be playing. That's weird. Um, Did you find that weird? Let me seriously. No, no, it, not really. It, it immediately like gave me a sense of panic, but then that's like natural for me. Mm-hmm. Um, given like Arsenal's previous, he will always, I think pretty much if he thinks there's even the slightest sniff of something happening in the Champions League, put the best players out. I think it is his, it's the white whale he's still chasing. So like, I, I think in, I think in hindsight, even if you'd have asked me back then, like, will he play them? My answer would have been yes. If you'd have asked me like, should he play them? My answer would have been no. Mm. But in, in a funny way, like it, it was definitely like a victory for Arsene, the gambler, which I know we've talked about before, and you're saying like if there's a gamble that Arsenal takes, it like it it tends not to come off, and we tend to get sort of punished for seemingly quite innocuous gambles. Like, yeah. 
the fear would certainly have been like you know they'd have both banned Jax themselves. But he's he's been rewarded pretty handsomely by the Ligrets the Ligrets uh, PSG draw and the fact that you know not only did we go over there and do the business we we smashed them in some fine style. Yeah, I mean, I think he had to go for it. That was the thing. And, you know, when you have players, I thought it was quite interesting before the game, he said, you know, sometimes when a player is in good form, the worst thing you can do is take him out or rest him or leave him out of the side because it sort of interrupts his momentum in a way. And we know that, we know that uh, Alexis is this kind of footballing machine who just wants to play every second of every game. And, and Mesut Ozil is a guy, um, as I think it flies under the radar a bit in terms of his, his overall fitness. Like Quite often, he might take Alexis off, but he'll leave Ozil on to do the full 90 or the 94 minutes. He, he, sort of, he, he trusts his sort of inherent fitness or his engine, I guess you would say. Um, but it, the, the fact that he's able to surround these two guys with other players who can come in and make an impact is, is really quite an interesting development. Do you think that's something new with Ozil? Because wasn't one of the things when he first arrived um, that people kind of cited was that he often hadn't finished the 90 at Madrid? He'd mm. often kind of get taken off. 70 or whatever and people were worried about whether he you know he could last the the 90 in england but he, you're, you're right he does seem like a, i mean he's they're both like incredible athletes i saw someone sharing a picture of alexis sitting on the bench when he'd been substituted and he looked like he hadn't even played football he had that kind of like beatific non-sweaty calm look like if i kick a ball for 30 seconds obviously i'm not an athlete but like my face is fire engine red i do look like i'm gonna die but he just yeah he's just that kid he just would I was joking with someone saying that he was the sort of person like if you're playing in the park, he'd insist people like um, put their cars on the grass once the sun went down and switch the headlights on so that you could keep <laughs> playing. He's like that kind of lunatic. Yeah, I mean he really is. He just has that. He has that. And I think you know that's probably one of the challenges for Wenger, isn't it? That he he knows how important he is, and he knows that okay, when a game is four one or four nil away from home, now's the time to take them off. I mean, we saw that. We That was recognized the other night and he took uh, Alexis off after he got a bit of a kick. Um, but I think he also knows that like to get the best out of him, you can't stop start him in a way. You have to, he has to sort of keep his momentum going. I think, I think in some ways, like I've got nothing but like sympathy with Arsene on, on this because I think it must be an absolute nightmare trying to manage Alexis from this point of view like he's not happy being brought off in, in a game where there is like any level of like doubt over the result mm. and I think even if the result's fairly assured he just wants to keep playing football I and mean, he looks like furious coming off at 3-0 in games yeah you know like livid um so so I don't envy the manager at all especially when like you know He's, here's a player that you're trying to persuade to stay. So you're, it, it might seem dumb, but you you want to keep him kind of happy in every kind of respect. Mm. But then equally, you know, if his hamstring goes, yeah. there's going to be the fingers will all be pointed at the manager, like all of them. Absolutely. So I think, yeah. it's, I think it's really tough for him. To, it is because people want him to play the best team. You know, you've got to play your best team in every game. And then it's like, why are you playing them in this game? They could get injured and like, but PSG are never going to lose. They're never going to drop points against Ludogorets. And then, you know, all of a sudden, uh, they do exactly that, and we've we've come into it on on the back of a on the back of a really good win. I mean, it, it puts us top of the the Champions League group. Before we sort of go into the permutations of that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about about Lucas Perez. Um, a really interesting player, I think, in the sense yeah. that he gives us he gives us 
something that we didn't necessarily have before in in terms of being a poacher perhaps you know two of his goals were were absolute tap-ins that any of us could have scored if we were put in that position is the fact that he was in that position and had that anticipation and timing to to get there in the first place I know a lot of people went no who the hell is this guy and he's not the world-class striker that we need but he does look like a guy who can give the team something that it hasn't had for quite a while well, you, you kind of have to see it through the prism of two things, I think. Like, so, so one is that Sanchez now looks like he might be the striker that we all craved. Um, after, you know, initial experiments kind of misfired a bit, he, he really does seem like he might be that, in inverted commas, world-class striker. But the, the other, th- which I think takes a lot of the pressure off Perez um, yeah. to, be, to be that. The other thing is obviously like Jamie Vardy's like um, <laughs> trials up at Leicester. Like Vardy, I, I know a lot of people in the summer, like I think we, we probably both did have some doubts about whether he would be a good fit. Um, but now starts to look like, you know, the biggest of bullets dodged potentially, like a guy who maybe just did have like one unbelievable season. Mm. Um, and I think if you look at, if, so if you look at a guy like Perez, like you think like, what what's he got to achieve in the squad? I love to see someone tucking away easy goals, by the way, because the worst thing is when those those chances are being missed. That's what kills you. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact he's got that versatility, like he's quick, he's tough, he's hardworking. Um, I say he's tough, he's just come back off an injury, but he, he, he seems like a guy who's not afraid of getting involved mm-hmm. um, and other cliches. But <laughs> the, fact, the fact we can field him um, seemingly through the middle, but also as a potential pace the option out wide um is huge i i saw someone i think it was like maybe jane cavendish on twitter talking about how um one of the ways to get over the fact that santi's injured is by having quick wingers who we can push the ball out to um earlier um and like i guess ox finding some form theo being in good form at the start of the season though, though seemingly tailed off a bit but being able to have perez as another option out wide who's who, who is pacey um it, it, it comes back to what we've all talked about this season. I think the reason I think I imagine most of us are enjoying it a bit more is the squad just feels like there are so many different tools in it now that if like something someone loses form or does get hurt, then there are at least interesting options now that, that fit with the way we play. We're not constantly trying to hammer misshapen pegs into the wrong holes, etc. Yeah, I mean, a, a wide forward was something that perhaps a lot of people would have liked us to sign in the summer because... Uh, those areas have been underproducing for us for, for quite a while. And then you look at this season, Oxlade-Chamberlain has six goals and that's the best, the most he's ever scored in a season for Arsenal. And, you know, we're in December. Theo Walcott has, I think, eight or nine goals. Lucas Perez has five goals. So I don't know what that is. We're over 20 goals from the wide areas uh, already, or more or less 20 goals from, from the wide areas. So that's, that's a significant part of why the team is performing better why it looks more dangerous as an attacking uh, as an attacking unit i think yeah and if you, if you talk about like if, if you still consider like a guy like perez probably like a fringe sort of player if he can weigh in with this number of goals that's a lot more than obviously a different position but like a fringe player like say a riziki was going to contribute you know who's mm. a guy who would you know often play at this time of year and and, and see a bunch of games like h- how much do you see perez contributing potentially over the course of the rest of the season, do you think do you think he could push for a first team place? Perhaps I'm not necessarily sure about that. I, I think he 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 really gives him something to think about, though, when he comes in and scores a hat trick. Um, his, his selection was a little bit of a surprise, I thought, the other night. You know, to play him from the right hand side, I thought maybe if if he was going to play him at all, it would be because he was going to rest Alexis. Um, but you know, he's come in, he's he's scored goals. He, he looks a clever player as well. He uses the ball very well. 
So, I, you know, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen, but it's great to have someone like him who you can actually feel confident in that if he does play from the start or if he comes on that he could make an impact and you know even going back to someone like Olivier Giroud who has only started two games this season he's still got five goals and I think that this is this is the kind of thing that we've been looking for for quite a while is that um, you have these great individuals like Alexis, like Ozil, who are clearly the star men. But what you need around them are players who can provide them with the support, not just in terms of how we play football, but in terms of end product. And I think we've got more players in this squad this season who can give us something in front of goal, who can create something or who can score than we've had for ages. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the caveat I would put on that is those two star men are so key and I wonder how like the rest of the group would react if one of them suddenly was missing um, for like a substantial amount of time touch with that won't happen and uh, you, you can of course apply the same to any any of the, the big teams like you know how does City now cope with Aguero being banned hilariously for four games we'll mm. find out um, so yeah every every team is vulnerable to losing its very best players but we we do seem the, the alchemy between Ozil and Sanchez is like hitting sort of some pretty crazy levels now that you, you see them like looking for each other the whole time you see Ozil getting goals that that he wasn't necessarily in the seasons before Sanchez you know delivering assists you, you feel like whatever title challenge potentially you know could materialize is going to be contingent on keeping them them healthy sure I agree I agree but what's also interesting is the fact that in previous seasons when we rotated you know you'd look at certain games you think well he could rotate here he could rest a few players here and there you know bar the the Southampton game in the EFL Cup it's worked it's pretty much yeah. worked that the players he's brought in have made a, a, a good contribution or have been able to slot into the system and perform pretty well. Uh, and I think that's a very promising development to to when you compare it to, to previous seasons where we, we seem to have like a, a first 11 or the best 11 that we had. And that was really obvious. And now from game to game, you're not quite sure how to second guess him in terms of what sort of team he's going to what he's going to pick. Well, there was a time when, let's be realistic, there was a time when rotation meant, all right, we're going to start Bentner up top. You know? <laughs> and there, there were times when injuries meant Bentner played for months at a time. Mm. Um, so, I mean, there's also the prospect, of course, of like guys like Welbeck potentially coming back for the second half of the season. Sure. He's due, what, Jan- January, maybe? Yeah. You know, you you wouldn't rule out him him giving you another option. He was, you know, he was he was knocking on the door of our first team place before he got hurt. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, I think this competition, I know we, we, we've spoken about it before, but I think the competition, when it is genuine competition, keeps players on their toes. Um, Gibbs finding some form as well. Yeah, I mean, what a fantastic game he had yeah. the other night. It was it was really great. Um, you know, got forward very well, uh, involved in three, three goals. I, it was one of the best performances I've ever seen from him. And what about um, Rob Holding? At the back, I mean, that was another surprising change. Maybe Mustafi is carrying a bit, a bit of an injury and the manager needs to, to rest him just to keep him fresh or make sure he doesn't aggravate something. But still, that was Rob Holding's first ever European game, his first Champions League game. Away. Uh, away from home in a game that we had to win if we wanted to top the group. And I know he had this little bit of a mistake that, that ended up costing us a goal, but I thought overall... It was a hugely promising uh, performance from a from a young guy playing his first ever Champions League game. And when you consider where he was 12 months ago, he's like battling for Bolton's life down the bottom of the championship. Yeah. It's brilliant. 
He seems. I mean, he looked incredibly disappointed after the goal, as you'd expect. You saw how much the clean, sh- like trying to keep the clean sheet, meant to him. Yeah. But he seems very even tempered, which I like in a centre back. Like generally, he's mm. he's very kind of cool headed. Um, I was actually chatting as well to like a friend of mine who uh, follows Middlesbrough very closely and was saying how well Callum Chambers has been doing up there. So, um, so, so potentially some, you know, the strongest we we might look at centre back for a while with this squad. Yeah. Um, which, which, you know, which is good with pair. I mean, that you, you feel like the transition away from pair has completely happened now. Mustafi, there was so much kind of prevarication over that deal in the summer that you can't, and you know, I truthfully, I hadn't seen much of him play at all. So I didn't know what to make of, you know, how, how cross or happy we should be depending on which way it went. But he's, he's settled in unbelievably quickly for a centre back, right? When yeah. you think of like the, um, the struggles like a guy like Koscielny, you know, originally had how long it took for him to find his feet. But Staffy really has slotted in um, in a way that I think Arsenal couldn't even have dreamt of. Yeah, I mean, even someone like uh, Squillacci, who I know is a bit of a figure of fun in terms of his Arsenal career, which was absolutely terrible. But this was a, a reasonably well-established French international yeah. playing. He was playing European finals with Sevilla. You know, he wasn't a fucking asshole that we just plucked from nowhere, but he was a guy who just couldn't play with the system that we had at the time. I think there's, I think in fairness uh, to him and probably something that's working for Mustafi a little bit is that the team in general is set up a bit better um, to defend uh, overall rather than it being the sole preserve of the center halves. I think that's something Scrilacci said at one point. He said, he said to Arsene Wenger, um, this is terrifying. You know, it's just guys running at you the whole time. There's no protection. And, and Arsene Wenger said, yeah, that's kind of how we play here. <laughs> that, 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 that was a letter that had been handed to Scrilacci by the fans saying, please, please pass this on. <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, no, well, I, so. I think you're right. I think you're right about Mustafi. And, you know, he's he's come in and done extremely well, seems to have bedded in alongside Koscielny. But, Again, the fact that we can bring in someone like Holding and and it it doesn't really affect us in any way um, is fantastic. So top of the top of the Champions League group, and as is typical with our luck, I suppose when it comes to Europe, finishing second in their group are Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, uh, two teams who you'd pretty much want to avoid Bayern simply because well they're f- just bored of Bayern Munich, Real Madrid because they're just Real Madrid and there's Ronaldo and all that kind of stuff. They're just so good as well, reputationally. But, you know, I don't think we can really have any complaints about who we get in the the first knockout round if we finish top of the group. It's when you finish second and you've maybe blown a chance uh, to to draw somebody of lesser calibre. That's when it becomes really frustrating. Yeah, if you if, if you get a tough draw, you get a tough draw. It's a cup competition. That's going to happen. And at some point, you are going to face these teams. Like, God knows we'd all like to get past the first knockout stage. But if we draw one of them, like, you know, so be it. I, I, I completely agree that, like, the, the problem is, otherwise, the narrative remains the same of, like, well, Arsenal, you had a decent group and you blew it. Like, um, mm. and, you know, what, what you want is for us to buck those sorts of stories. Um, you know, just... We, it feels like we're going into we will be going into the the next round with the squad looking good and off the back of a great group performance I don't think you can ask any more from that Arsene was Arsene was proved right by staying optimistic and, and, and going for it and you know more power to his elbow yeah. for that I, I wanted to ask actually what you yeah. made of um, the midfield because uh, talking about the defence having better protection Ramsey and Xhaka was obviously like a one of the lesser tried combos mm. Did you think that worked? I thought it was promising, I have to say. I thought Ramsey was... 
he, he's taken a lot of stick recently, and uh, you know I think we have to look at the fact that he is only really coming back from injury over the last um, three or four weeks. hasn't played a lot in the middle, and you know he is a bit of a Goldilocks player in that he needs the right partner alongside him. You know it's got to be just right. But you know he was much tidier with the ball on Wednesday. It was a Tuesday or Wednesday? I think it was Tuesday. Much tidier with the ball. He was back doing his defensive work. Um, Jacka, I think, is is really very quickly establishing himself as an integral part of that midfield. So it's going to be Xhaka yeah. plus whoever. Um, so I can see for some games how Coquelin and Xhaka would be a good mix and, and even Elneny and Xhaka would be a good mix. I didn't think there was an awful lot wrong with, with Ramsey and Xhaka. Whether it's the sort of midfield you can go and play away at Man City with, I'm not entirely sure yet. We haven't we haven't seen enough of it. But I thought it was, I thought it was interesting to see that Ramsey was much more disciplined alongside Xhaka. And when you look at Xhaka's stats and the numbers that he had, he's he's basically filling the Santi Cazorla role now. That he's the guy, he's the fulcrum. He's the guy who's taking yeah. the ball off the center halves. He's taking it off the fullbacks. He's the guy who's there for a pass when they need to go back uh, from the wide areas. And I'm I'm really excited about what he can become. You know, the, he looks like the range of passing he has from deep, and even when he pushes up the pitch, is fantastic. Yeah, his passing. Like, I think that's why he's such a pleasure to watch because he picks those passes that are pretty difficult and makes them look, look easy so having another guy in in the team the kind of oil in the engine in in the way that Sansi mm. was he I, I, I would agree with it he, he's obviously like a very different player to Casola, but he can sort of fulfill a similar function in yeah. terms of like yeah transitioning from defense to attack that way mm. but yeah Ramsey's is just a weird one because he does like positionally he still does seem to want to you know, be the guy arriving, breaking into the box, and he roams around a bit. Maybe that's a kind of, uh, a, partly a kind of a function of the fact that he's played out wide, so he's used to being out wide. Sometimes I don't know. Mm. It's it's just really uh, Ramsey and Wilshere seem to almost slightly suffer from the same thing. It's hard to quite see how you fit them into a three and construct it comfortably. Yeah. We, but, and, and the thing that I found weird about that for a long time is that when Ramsey, I think. I think when he had that like amazing period was when he was playing alongside Arteta or certainly he looked really good alongside Arteta because Arteta did the um the heavy lifting in terms of kind of that metronomic passing and taking it off the back four yeah. and he was like you know really really positionally disciplined and read the game very well um and it feels like we still quite haven't I, I feel like if there's one part of the team where Arsenal is still struggling to work out exactly what the chemistry the correct chemistry is is in central midfield. I think that's probably the one thing that I worry may hold us back a little. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think you know, if you look at what, if you look at what Xhaka does, that maybe that is something that actually fits with the way Ramsey and Arteta fitted together. Mm. You know that that yeah, that was my hope when we yeah. bought Xhaka that he would he would be the Arteta one. Well, we'll see. I mean, we've only seen it one game, really. So you know, it's it's very early. It's very early days, and I think you're right that he he still goes from game to game in terms of how he views his midfield and what's the best combination. You know, sometimes it's a little ultra-conservative, but, uh, you know, we, we'll wait and see. Obviously, he's going to have to play them a bit more. But look, just before we go, a um, couple of things. We are in December. 
and uh, after December comes January and we all know that you love a good transfer when you look at this squad <laughs> when you look at this squad right now I mean do do you see any glaring gaps would you be clamoring for the manager to go out and get something in the transfer window or do, do you feel like this squad even if it's not quite balanced or, or he hasn't quite found the right mix in some areas is sufficiently strong I mean if you're offering I'd always take it yeah well, of course but um, <laughs> I I, I I'm not sure. Like, I mean, you'd you'd be you'd be really talking about rather than there being like a glaring gap in the squad where you just go like, we just don't have enough bodies of sufficient quality in position X. We have to fill position X. I don't feel that way. Mm. So it's it's more a question of like, are there are there positions in the team where you could make what what feels like might be a clear upgrade? Because I don't I don't feel like necessarily. Whereas I had before, like what we need to do is buy cover. Um. So I think I heard you talking about like you know Draxler being kind of hello, but I. But otherwise, not not really. Like, I think there's a case for like, in, if you go back to the summer, you could have said like, if you just buy someone like Kante, is he such a strict upgrade on Coquelin that like suddenly the midfield, like all those questions we have over like how it fits together, would be answered because you just play Kante Ozil plus one. Mm. Like, I, I could have seen something like that, but I don't see you know, Arsenal now seems to be involved in something of a whirlwind love affair with Coquelin. So, <laughs> I think he I think he's the defensive mid for a while and and probably better than we've had. Uh, Definitely for a bit. Yeah. So yeah, not not really. I mean, it's it's you, you know, Alexis has made that centre forward berth his. Perez seems like he's at least um definitely a viable option both 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 as a striker and as a wide player. So I don't know, how about you? Like uh, yeah, I feel like as relaxed going into it, barring mm. barring injuries as I have for a while. Yeah, I don't feel like we we desperately need anything. But if something amazing came along, you'd you'd certainly take it, you know, just to, just to sort of, uh, if you could really improve the squad in one position, if that player was available, then sure, I'd be I'd be all for it. I'm not sure that player is available in January anyway, and uh, you know I, I don't want to say that it'd be like uh, Faustino Aspria at Newcastle uh, who came in and all went to shit then <laughs> yeah. after that. You know I don't think there's that kind of player, but I, you know it feels to me like the squad is as complete. Uh, and as strong as it has been for for quite some time, you know, particularly when you look at someone like Danny Welbeck, who's going to come back and add something to to the forward area as well. So, you know, I'm I don't expect anything to happen in January unless something like remarkable is available, and and he feels like he wants to do that. Right. Final question: um, When are we ever going to get another Arsenal Mouse podcast? Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's yeah, winter, I mean, Tim. It's winter. I love going out with the dog and it's pissing rain and I've got a big coat on. And I'm listening to you guys making me feel more miserable. I, I miss it, man. Do, do I need to wait for like a really bad result, though? So I can really kind of go weapons free. Oh, maybe so. Maybe, maybe, maybe the good thing is uh, maybe if we don't get one until next year, like 2018 or something, that'd be good. When we when we re-sign Sesk in January, we'll do a two-hour special. How about that? <laughs> the Sesk special, marvelous. <laughs> the least popular signing and podcast in Arsenal history. Brilliant. Well, I look for I for one look forward to both of those things. <laughs> um, Tim, pleasure as always. Thanks a million. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed to Tim from Arse to Mouse. You can follow him on Twitter if you like at Arse to Mouse, where two is the number two, and hopefully. Hopefully they can get the band back together. I need a an Arse to Mouse podcast episode to get me through these cold, dark winter months. They just make you feel all ooh, inside. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But uh, hopefully we'll get one of those soon. Right. We're going to do more stuff after this guy. Join us 
as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, Winger! We went out of the EFL Cup because you did not play a side that was strong enough when you've got talent like Mesa Ozil and Alexis Sanchez. You must play them. If you don't, you are not taking seriously our chances of winning a trophy. And we went out of the EFL Cup because of that. Why? Wenger, why are you playing Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil in the Champions League against a team from Switzerland? They could get injured and so would go our chances of winning any trophy at all this season. Not that we're going to win one anyway now that we've gone out of the EFL Cup, you absolute cards! Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit! We will have more from the angriest man on Twitter as time goes by. No doubt there will be many things to infuriate and enrage him. Speaking of which, I didn't mention the other week that I got glasses, right? Or I had to get glasses for sort of close-up work. And when I'm working on the computer or writing the blog or writing news and stuff, it's, it's, it's great to be able to see. But I was quite taken the first two or three days. I was like, oh, my God, everything is everything's so clear. It's, it's, it's incredible. How could I have lived like this for so long without realizing that I needed a little bit of help along the way? Then after another couple of days, I was going, you know what? I'm actually not so sure about this. Things don't seem just quite as as clear as they were when I first got my spectacles. Then I realized, yeah, you got to clean the lenses. That's... (laughs) That's the thing. They get all dirty, and now this is my new obsession. I don't know if you're one of those people like, um, let's say you're playing a game of chess. If I'm playing a game of chess, and I'm absolutely and completely rubbish at chess, I should point out, but uh, the pieces have to be absolutely dead square in the center of the square, like absolutely in the middle of them. Anything that's sort of hanging over the edge, it's like, no, no. I can't deal with it. And it's kind of the same with the glasses now, because anytime there's even the tiniest little speck on them, I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is not right. It's affecting my vision in a terrible way. I've like this bit of dust or smear. So now I'm just spending half my day cleaning glasses. (sighs) Maybe the benefits aren't so great after all. But look, seeing as we're here... And talking about stuff and nonsense, how about some prizes to win on the podcast? Yes. Our friends from Art of Football, they make T-shirts, they make uh, canvases and prints and those kind of things. They've got some funky arsehole stuff there. Uh, have given us two things to give away to two winners. So what you have to do to go and win is go to the website. Go to art-of-football.com. That's art-of-football.com. And uh, check it out. You can view stuff by team. So go over and view the Arsenal stuff because I assume that's what you're interested in. And to enter the competition, just email competition at arsblog.com and tell me what is the thing that you would like. I would like this print or I would like that T-shirt or whatever it is. That's all you have to do. And you'll be entered into a draw automatically. And next week on the podcast, we will... um, 
We will get the random number generator to pick out a couple of winners, and I will announce them on the podcast then, and you guys can get the very thing that you wanted from the Art of Football website. So do check it out. And if you're looking for some Christmas gifts, uh, Art of Football have given us a discount code. So if you want to buy something for yourself or if you want to buy something for somebody else, use the code ARSBLOG at checkout, and you get 10% off. Not bad. You know, that'll save you, like, thinking when you're doing your Christmas shopping. It's just like, ah, oh, get them a T-shirt or a print, or, you know, it's easy. So check it out, Art of Football. Google that or visit art-of-football.com. There you go. And we will give you details and winners and stuff on next week's show as we get ready for a game against Manchester City. But this weekend, we've got a game against Stoke City. Stoke City. I saw the uh, journalists trying to uh, stir something up between Arsene Wenger and uh, Mark Hughes at the press conference, which took place on Thursday. And one of them said, last year you described that as a an old-fashioned battle. And Arsene Wenger went, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a bit of a, an old-fashioned battle, all right. And the guy said, well, Mark Hughes didn't really appreciate that. And we know that Mark Hughes is a very sensitive touchy cunt at the best of times the man who I remember one game in particular stood in his technical area standing there leveling abuse at Arsene Wenger and then took umbrage when Arsene Wenger decided not to shake his hand at the end of the game oh my god how could he how could he besmirch me like this he didn't shake my hand at the end of a game yes I spent 90 minutes calling him a French wanker but you know that's just part and parcel of the game you forget about it at the end and you shake a man's hand yeah but Arsene Wenger wasn't to be drawn today he was like yeah I was just saying it was like a good old-fashioned English game very physical and everyone loves the physical side of the Premier League so we'll have to see what kind of a a physical game we get against Stoke tomorrow at the Emirates at 3 o'clock kickoff. That most rare of things in football these days. Team news that we have, of course, is that uh, Francis Coquelin is back in contention. He was suspended for the midweek game in Basel. And Hector Bellerin, Hector Bellerin is in contention as well for a return after an ankle injury. Um, sorry, I'm just opening a beer here. Um, so that would be amazing to have Hector Bellerin back. Hopefully he's 100% fit, but Gabriel has done pretty well there. Although there is that thing, you know, after a while, a player being played out of position starts to really feel out of position, even if he's been playing there a bit longer. I can remember some center house playing at fullback before, and they do okay for a few games, and then, and then just their natural not being a fullback comes into play, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. But uh, it's a strong squad, you know. The um, the players that came in a midweek against Basel really performed and gave the manager something to think about. And the guys that played last weekend against West Ham performed and uh, gave the manager something to think about. So if you were to say he's got problems at the moment, they're they're good problems. The best kind of problem that a manager would like to have, of course, uh, is a surplus, a glut, a plethora, even of good players, and uh, he can only pick 11, of course. There are going to be some guys who are left out of the squad entirely tomorrow against Stoke, who probably you could make a good case for them being in the squad or even being in the team. And that's a really healthy position for us to be in, particularly at this time of year when the games start coming really thick and fast because we've got a midweek game then on Tuesday. We go to Goodison Park to play Everton, which is always a, a tough place to go. And then we've got a trip to Manchester to play Manchester City. 
So that's going to be another difficult game, even if their defense is pretty hopeless at the moment. You know, teams seem to get their shit together when they play us. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But look, it is, it's sort of one, one game at a time sort of stuff. Um, do what we've got to do tomorrow against Stoke. Hopefully we can, we can overcome their physicality, not that they're quite as physical as they used to be. They're a bit more technical. Um, and that in itself is a bit more dangerous, I guess. Uh, but we do have a good record against them at home. So if we can take three points there, I don't know what the other fixtures are like this weekend. I'm just going to have a quick look here. Just going to open up my old browser here. Should have some beer. Hang on. That's nice. High Wire West Coast Pale Ale. I like it. Um, Let's see. Okay, Watford, Everton, Arsenal, Stoke, Burnley, Bournemouth, Hull, Crystal Palace, Swansea, Sunderland, Leicester, Man City. Leicester, Man City. That's an interesting one. Uh, So Sunday must be a lot of games on Sunday. Sunday is Chelsea, West Brom. Oh, Manchester United, Tottenham. Kick the fuck out of each other there, please, if you wouldn't mind. Just sort of uh, draw. 4-4, nil-nil, but lots of violence. More violence. Chelsea, Man City violence. That kind of level of violence. Southampton, Middlesbrough, Liverpool versus West Ham. Then on the Sunday is our Monday night game. No. There isn't, but there are two games on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, so that's our, we're one of them. Of course, Everton versus Arsenal. So, look, let's let's just hope we can keep it going. Although we had that little blip uh, in the EFL Cup, we've, I guess, corrected ourselves. We've won the next two games, scored nine goals, conceded a couple. But, you know, we're, we look in good form. We look dangerous. We look a bit more like the Arsenal that we've all wanted to see over the last couple of seasons. But this next period is going to be really, really testing. Um, and hopefully we can we can kick that off or keep it going, I guess, against Stoke because, you know, I, I don't like Mark Hughes. Don't like him at all. And I would like him to have a very sad Saturday night. And I'd like for you to have a good Saturday night. That's the kind of person I am. I'm, o- I'm always thinking of you afterwards. If I have a good Saturday night, that's that's neither here nor there. But if you if you have a good one because we beat Stoke, then then I'm happy. I'm gonna be happy. So look, I'm gonna leave it here. James and I will be here on Monday. We will be recording an Arscast extra looking back on the game against Stoke, looking ahead to the game against Everton, and whatever else happens in the meantime. So uh, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's keep fingers crossed that the Arsenal will make it a good weekend for us and the you know the other results go our way. That would be nice too. And uh, I'll chat to you on the next one. Until then, have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye.
pleasure I'm taking with me So goodbye Please don't cry We both know I'm not what you, you need 